All right, so in February, which in February seems like an entire lifetime ago. In February, I could go and eat anywhere I wanted. I could go and do things. My kids could go to school. February seems like a completely different lifetime ago at this point. Um, but in February, I went to the Metroplex for a couple of days. The reason that I went there um, was to just kind of take a few days to get away. Like I knew we were going to be walking through three chapters of the Bible. We were going to walk through the greatest sermon, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I wanted to just be able to kind of immerse myself in that and be able to spend some time in study and in prayer and just kind of thinking through and really trying to map out what is this series going to look like. Because I knew it's going to be the better part of six to seven months and so it was kind of a planning aspect of, okay, what does the next six to seven months for me and for the church look like? And I really wanted to be able to spend some time. And so I went and stayed at a hotel, and I saw a couple of friends, but really the majority of it was just sitting in front of a desk and in front of a table and reading. I had several books. I had about 1,200 pages of material that I wanted to get started on. I wasn't going to read all that in two days, but it was really just this idea of, okay, I want to be able to map out what does this series look like. And so I've got a journal, and it's got pretty much dates, and it's got the sermon that I was going to do that day. And for the most part, I have kept to that. However, when it comes to the section that we're going to look at, I really had prayer split into two parts. There was going to be how not to pray and how to pray. The how to pray was going to be the Lord's Prayer. Um, early on this week, I told our staff, I think I'm going to have to amend that. Um, and for your sake, I am glad that I did because when I really started looking at the Lord's Prayer, it's one that many of you know, many of you have read it, you've, you've read it in different translations, you have it memorized in your head. When I really started looking at that, I was like, there is no way I'm going to get through this um, without Mother's Day turning into Monday. And so one, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Um, and two, this is kind of my gift to the mothers. Um, we will leave here in a timely manner because we are actually going to split this into two parts. Last week, we kind of saw how not to pray. Um, it was kind of this, what is prayer? Um, we saw that prayer has a motivation in it. And when we pray, there's certain ways that we do it so that we get the reward from God and not from mankind. But when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, this is actually going to turn into three weeks of prayer because if I tried to preach through all of this today, it would be about three o'clock in the afternoon before I got done. Our volunteers don't want that. Um, you don't want that. And so here's kind of my little bit of a shift for myself. We're going to split the Lord's Prayer into two parts. And so we're going to look at that today. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that was given by Jesus. And so there's a lot that we can take away from it. And so today, we're literally just going to look at two verses. In those two verses, there is, man, this beautiful, deep well of teaching. Um, this beautiful picture of who God is. This beautiful picture of his will. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so I would invite you, um, if you want to follow along, we'll have it on the screen next to me. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in Matthew 6, and we're going to start in verse 9. And Jesus says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now many of you have, like I said, heard that before. But as he starts, I want to I kind of put some foundation to this prayer because those first four words, Pray then like this. This was not, he didn't say pray this. He said pray like this. This is the model prayer. 
Um, when Jesus prayed, he didn't expect his disciples to just memorize everything he said and then repeat that back. Now, I'm sure they did because they're prayers from Jesus. Um, but we know Jesus had more than just this prayer. We know that Jesus prayed often. He would, he would go off to secluded places and pray. He would pray um, with his disciples. I mean, John 17 is an entire chapter of Jesus praying. This is important to him, but this is the model. This is really meant to teach us this is meant to grow us in our prayer life. Because I think we understand, like, as we pray, hopefully as we mature in our faith, we mature in our prayer life. Like, if you think back, now this can be different for everyone. Like, if you kind of came into Christianity and a relationship with Christ in your teens or maybe young adulthood or later adulthood, you're, you're at a point where you kind of understand, okay, I'm praying, but hopefully my prayers are going to be growing. When, you're, when you come into this young um, like I did, like I, I was blessed. Like I grew up in a household where I was taught to pray early on. Those prayers look different than my prayers today. Like Jesus' model prayer is meant to kind of grow us because I remember as a young kid, I had the exact same prayer every night. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for our food, our church, and our school. Please help mommy to be a better mommy, daddy to be a better daddy, me to be a better boy, Brandon to be a better brother, and Daniel to be a good little brother too. Um, I know the age of my prayer because I have more siblings than that. This is where it kind of shifted. Um, I prayed that every night. Like I watched that within my own children. Like I do prayer time with my boys at night. Logan and Andy, we all sit down, we pray together. It's something that early on I wanted to be a part of, I wanted to lead in. And every night, Logan, if he's watching, this isn't meant to embarrass you, he prays the same prayer, at, at least the start of it. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this day. He repeats that part. It's one that my wife and I have talked about. Like he, he's, he's young in his prayer life. I've watched Andy even begin to shift his prayers a little bit. Uh, he's three, and so I say something, he repeats it back. Father God, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for friends. Thank you for family. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. About three weeks ago, we started and said, Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for today. Thank you for friends. Thank you for friends. And then he just split off. And if you know anything about my youngest son, Andy, he's my strong-willed, strong-spirited child where he doesn't need prompting at times. And he just started praying. He said, uh, and God, uh, his eyes are very closed while he does it. And uh, help me not to get the flu again. And uh, help me to eat my dinner at night. And help me to get a new dinosaur. Amen. And Logan's like looking at me like he's not doing what he's supposed to do. I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. Like just let him, this is him growing in his prayer life. And it was a really cool moment. And he's done that pretty much every night since then. Uh, we get different things out of that prayer, but it, he's growing in that. And for both of them, they're going to hit a time where their prayers are not the ones that I've modeled to them. They're going to be their own. And this is what Jesus is setting up in the Lord's Prayer. This isn't something to just be repeated back, although it's a beautiful prayer. We often repeat it, but it's a model. It's meant to teach us. And so today, we're going to be looking at what does this prayer teach us? How does it teach us to pray? What's important in a prayer? And so the first thing he says, the first line he says, Our Father in heaven. The first thing we need to know about prayer is this. Prayer is addressed to God. It's us conveying an intentional message to God. And so Jesus starts off, he says, our Father. Now when Jesus said our Father, this is one of these moments where I think everyone, like, look, 
you're watching at home and there's people here, like, at times, I understand. Like, I've been in ministry for a long time. People can tune out during a message. Like, I had a really good friend who fell asleep once when I was preaching. Now, granted, he was coming off like a 20-hour doctor shift, so I'll give him that. Um, But I understand, like, there's times where people, like, when you're talking, you just kind of tune out a little bit. In this moment, I think everyone that was tuned out just kind of popped their head up. When he says, our father, he didn't say, my father. He didn't say, father. He brought everyone together. He said, our father. All these little Jewish heads just popped up because what Jesus just said in that moment was something that they had not been taught. They had heard a lot from different scribes and Pharisees and the religious teachers. They had never heard someone say, our father. And we need to understand why. In Jewish culture, equating God as father was something that Jesus kind of introduced to everyone. That was not something that the scribes and Pharisees taught. That was not something that they had gone to church and heard a message on our father. That was a foreign concept. In fact, it was kind of shocking. Like there are different, you've, you've heard the term shock jock. There are people out there that will say things just to kind of get people's attention. Um, And that even happens in ministry. And I won't get into it in staff meeting earlier this week. We were laughing about, I I have a tendency to cross lines. Um, I've shared before, I got bleeped on a Christian uh, podcast once. Now, what I said, most of you are from Texas. You can ask me about it and you'll completely get it. Um, If you're from like deep, deep, big areas like DFW or Houston or San Antonio, It was a little foreign, that's why it got bleeped. Um, But if you were from the country like I was, it was completely permissible. Um, But there are times where people will say things just to be shocking. Most of mine are just, they're not in my notes, I just say them. But when Jesus says, our Father, that was a shocking statement. Um, Because it just wasn't something like, you didn't call God Father. Like they wouldn't even speak his name in that culture. Um, It was so holy, so reverent, and yet Jesus makes it so personal. He says, our Father. A couple things happen here. One, uh, the title was new with Jesus. Two, Jesus pretty much always uses this moving forward. He constantly says, our Father, my Father. He uses Father often. Um, And Jesus authorized his followers to use the same words. Like if this is the model prayer, Jesus is saying, you can look to God, the Creator. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But you can look to him and personally say, Father. Like uh, the model prayer is addressed to God. In Jesus' day, they, they actually had gotten away from using God's n- different names, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But they, they had really kind of pulled away from that. And again, this is where Jesus, when he shows up, he completely changes the religious system. It's not about what you've heard before. Jesus is going to speak with authority, and he's going to speak with authority when it comes to prayer, and he's going to say, when you pray, you can say, our Father. And it's also interesting the word that he uses for Father. A lot of different words that he could have said. In this moment, Jesus is speaking in a language known as Aramaic, and he uses a word that some of you have probably heard, Abba. It's recorded several times in Scripture, And Abba really translates to daddy. Daddy being what a small child would call their father. Um, It's it's this moment in a kid's life when they call someone daddy. I mean, you have all these different words that you can use for father, right? And we got dads in here. Like, you can say dada, like when you're a toddler and you're just learning to speak. And you can say dad when you're a little bit older and more mature. And I know I'm going to hit a stage where one of my kids is going to walk in and go, 
hey, Jamie, um, because they think they're real cool. But there's this really neat window in a kid's life where they say, Daddy. It's a time of innocence, and it's a time of complete trust. And as I preach this message in May of 2020, I find myself in that pretty sweet window with multiple kids. Um, I'm going to move past that, I know, and so I, I hope to be able to look back on today, and, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you're maybe in that window, and some of you can go, no, I can look back and I know what you're talking about, but I'm, I'm in that window where there's innocence and complete trust when they say, Daddy, because that's what my kids call me. A couple things happen within that. For my boys, I can do anything. Like, they think I'm a superhero. They think that I'm the world's greatest person. Like, Andy has referred to me as the greatest dad in the universe. I don't know where he picked that up lately, but he's called me that a number of times. But for them, like, I am Superman. Like, I, I can do all these things that I really can't do. Um, it also means that there's trust. And so when my kid breaks a window, which one of them did a number of months ago, he came in and he knew I had told him, do not hit baseballs in the backyard this direction because you could break something. And he came running in one afternoon just in tears. And he said, I broke a window just like you told me not to. He knew he was in trouble, but he also had this moment of trust where he just said, look, the, the first thing I need to do, I'm not hiding this. I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to run to my daddy. I also have these moments with my younger son where he just doesn't say anything, I'll be sitting there, and he just walks up, no, no words spoken, and he crawls into my lap, and he just wants to cuddle. Like, he, he, he'll bring an iPad, he, he wants to watch his iPad, but he wants to watch his iPad cuddled up on me. That's, that's the daddy phase. And this is the word that Jesus uses to begin to address God. Our daddy in heaven. Like this moment where we have to kind of ask the question, okay, do you see God as daddy? Like, do you have complete trust in him? Do you have this complete belief that he can do everything? Because unlike me, where my kids look at me, he can. But you kind of have to ask the question, do you see him as daddy? Do you see him as your father? And if you don't, I want to invite you let today be the day where that becomes, hey, that is my father. That is my daddy. Like, it's not about me anymore. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to put my assurance in him, and I am going to follow after him. It's this beautiful moment of innocence and complete trust that God can do everything he says he can do. He is God, but we have to ask, okay, do I trust him like that? Is he my father? And if he's not, I would invite you, let today be the day where you could say the words, our father in heaven, and maybe make it even a little more personal, my father in heaven. And so as we model this, he, uh, prayer is addressed to God. So then the question kind of becomes, okay, well, who is our father? Who is our daddy? Um, that can be a really weird question at times, but Jesus addresses it. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word that we don't use all that often. Um, it's one that, it's just not part of the common English vernacular at this point. Um, but what it means is holy. His name is holy. God is our Father, and his name is holy. So then we have the question, okay, well, what, what is his name? 
It turns out he has quite a few. Um, I could spend the rest of today just talking through the names of God because when we interpret Scripture and when we translate Scripture um, from literally like a couple words in to the end of, <laughs> end of Scripture, God has different names. And so let's think about a couple of them. One of them is this, Elohim. Um, that's a fun word. If you're a family, you can sit around and say Elohim together. Um, it means creator. One of God's names is the creator. And so many years ago, in his perfect timing, God spoke everything into existence. He is the creator that knows every cell in your body. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every atom in the universe. He knows every neutron in the universe. We're talking very large numbers there. He knows every planet. He knows every star. He knows every dark space between those that stretch out for light years beyond light years beyond light years. And for every single one of those things, he can look at them from the paper that's on this table to an atom 50 billion light years from here and all the space in between, and he can look at those and go, it's mine, every one of those. I created that. I created your body. I created the stars that you look at. I created the wind that you feel on your face. Every one of those things God can look at and go, it's mine. I made it. Like, do we worship him? Do we call out to him as creator? Or do we spend more time looking at the creation? That's, that can be a tricky thing. Like, we love the things that God has blessed us with, and we are called to love those things. But more than the creation, we are called to love Elohim, the creator, because that is one of his names. Do we worship him? Do we pray to him as the creator that made all of this? Like, if he made all of this, what's too big for him? Nothing. Do we pray to him in that way? Do we pray to Jehovah? That word means redeemer. Um, and we, we see that word, like all these different names that are used for God. One of, the, one of the times that Jehovah is used is in the story of Noah. Uh, Noah goes into the ark, like he's, he's spent 100 plus years probably building this ship um, because he knows God's going to flood the earth. And he goes into it. God's already brought all the animals. It's this wonderful kid story. Um, all the animals go into the ark, and it says Jehovah closed the door. Uh, the Redeemer closed the door. He had redeemed Noah and his family. And he made it possible that they were going to survive the other part of the not-so-kid story when God flooded the earth. And so he shuts the door, and what he does is he takes brokenness. Noah wasn't a perfect person. Noah's family weren't perfect. We know that. We read about Noah and his family, and we know they were not perfect. And so God took something that was broken, and he made it new. He redeemed it. And so he has Elohim, he has Jehovah. We have Jehovah Jireh. Um, it means the Lord will provide. Um, this is, comes from the story of, of Abram. Uh, even before he's Abraham, it says Jehovah Jireh. He said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to send you to a new place. And yet at the same time, I'm going to provide for you. Um, it becomes personal here. Like Abram is talking to, to God in this moment. It's not some far-off concept. It's not some deity that lives on a mountain that we can't even see. This was God, Jehovah Jireh, talking to Abram in a personal way. Like when we pray, it becomes a personal thing. Our prayers to God 
And there's another name, Adonai. It means Lord. Like, when we say Lord, there's an aspect of respect that comes with this. We have to ask the question, do we respect God? Like, we look around a lot of different situations, and we look at different people, and some people we say, hey, I don't really have respect for that person, and here's why. They do this, this, and this. And then there are other individuals that we look at, and we go, I do respect that person. I want to follow after that person. I want to model that person, and it's a respect issue. Like, when we call someone Lord, there's an aspect of respect. And so, in my life, like, one of the most respect moments I've ever seen came in high school. I'm a freshman in high school, um, went to a really small school, so when we had lunch, everyone in high school was at, at the lunch table. Um, there was a moment, and this, this, this guy wasn't even really following after God, but there was a senior, name was Zach, and there was another person in that class, um, and she had a number of di- different disabilities, um, physical, mental, and One day, sitting at lunch, I watched the class in front of me, the sophomores, there was a group of them, they started making fun of her. They made fun of her for reasons that she had no control over. I mean, just your normal, spiteful, mean-spirited kid. And several of them were just kind of launching insults at this girl. And I'll never forget, kind of the big man on campus, one of our seniors, turned around and he looked at them and, and very pointedly, and with a few other things, said, stop it. Don't talk to her like that. And man, everyone just, it was, you could have heard a pin drop in that cafeteria. They didn't say anything else to her. And I'm sitting there as a freshman, and I remember thinking beforehand, I need to say something to these guys. Like, I need to tell them, look, that's, that's not right. You need to quit that. And I didn't. And then this guy very pointedly tells them to stop. And man, it was, it was just about like when Jesus told the waves to stop, like everything quit. And I remember thinking, I want to be like that. Like I want to stand up for what's right. I want to do the right thing in the right moment, in the right way. That was a level of respect that I have had for very few people in between that time and now. And when we say Adonai, when we say Lord, We're looking at everything that God does, and we're saying, I have respect for that. And so when we pray, we pray to our Father in heaven, and we know that his name is holy. And I, again, that's that's four of them. There's infinite number of names for God. I would encourage you this week, if you want, and you're in quarantine a little bit still, spend some time, study the names of God so that you can better model your prayers in knowing that, hey, I can pray to the God that's Lord. I can pray to the God that's creator. I can pray to my redeemer. I can pray all of these things, and I can pray them in his name. He is holy. That one verse, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, reminds us that when we pray, we are praying to a holy and perfect God. And then he continues on in verse 10. He says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he continues and he says, your kingdom come. So what is God's kingdom? There's a lot of questions that kind of come up as we, as we read through this. So what, what is God's kingdom? Because if we look at an earthly standpoint, we realize really, really quickly, kingdoms rise and then kingdoms fall. If history teaches us anything, 
It's that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And I mean, from early on, you, in, in the Bible, like you, you look at Egypt. Egypt plays such a big role early on in Scripture. You've got the Exodus. You've got the Egyptians enslaving the Israelite people. And you've got the, these names coming up over and over again. A Pharaoh. I mean, they were the top of the world. They did things that we still have a hard time explaining. Like of all the wonders of the world from the ancient world, the only ones that are still standing are some pyramids. And they created and crafted those, and the Israelites helped make that in such a way that they are still standing. Like they, they got math, they got power, all of these things. They're not a world power today. Like they haven't been a world power in a long, long, long time. Like they rose to early pinnacle of human history, but if you look at them today, they're nothing like that. Babylon. Babylon was able to come in and enslave the Israelite people. They defeated Jerusalem. They took people out of Jerusalem. They, they kept them in captivity for years. They had ancient wonders of the world. Babylon doesn't even exist today. Like all we can do is read about it in history. Greece, Rome, like these, these pillars of like history for us that a lot of us, like a lot of our education comes from kind of a Greek standpoint. And we look at something as mighty as Rome, which I, I love Roman history. If you were around me for about five minutes, I'll inject some thought from it. I've got Roman stuff in my office to this day. They're not there today. Like it's a whole different country. Like for all the things that they did, all the advancements and all the military conquests, all these different things that they did, they fell. And that kind of carries over to today a little bit. And look, this is not something that, like, as Americans, if you're American watching this, like, we do kind of feel like, man, we are the pinnacle of all human society. And I kind of believe that. Like, we are, from a government standpoint, our freedom standpoint, our, like, the, just everything within that, like, we're doing pretty well. But if history shows us anything, even after a while, something as great as the United States of America that we love and behold because we're Americans it's, it, it can fall. That's a reality. However, when it says, your kingdom come, one kingdom that has never fallen is God's kingdom. Jesus preached on this over and over again. The kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is changed people. You and I get to be a part of the kingdom of God, and that's why it hasn't fallen. From Early on in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, there's some countries that still sort of exist after 2,000 years. They definitely don't look like they did back then. But 2,000 years later, those people that were followers of Christ and us today, millennium later, make up the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has changed people who were made in the image of God through Jesus Christ. That's why that kingdom has never fallen. That's why that kingdom looks so different than any other kingdom on the globe. Because early on, that kingdom looked like a group of mostly Jewish converts. And then that kingdom expanded to most of us, what they called Gentiles, people that weren't Jewish. And then that kingdom began to expand and expand and expand. And today, that kingdom is now made up of people that look like me, that people that look like you, if you don't look like me, of people that speak different tongues, of people of different ages, of people of different countries. That kingdom has been this ever-expanding glory of God. And that's why that kingdom will never fall. 
Until Christ comes back, that kingdom will continue to expand. Nothing can stop it because nothing can stop God. His kingdom is forever. And you get to be a part of that kingdom. And that's why we say, God, your kingdom come. Your kingdom continue to expand among the nations. Your, kin- your kingdom continue to expand among kids that are, are young in some ministry. And your kingdom continue to expand among students. And your kingdom expand among college kids. And your kingdom expand among adults. Your kingdom expand to someone who is sitting on their deathbed that comes to know you. That is his kingdom. And his kingdom will never fall. His kingdom will never stop. His kingdom will continue to come until he says, it's time. And the God that is creator, Elohim, will look over all of his creation and say, now is the moment I'm going to bring everything back together into perfection. His kingdom will come. And we pray that God, send your kingdom quickly. Like I I make the joke, man, I I pray before the end of this message, God, your kingdom come. Like I, I want it to be back to the way that you created it. And one day it will. So it says, your kingdom come. And then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to pray that God's will be done. And so let's pray for God's will. And then let's be okay with it. God's will is never wrong. And look, this year has been the the poster child for, this is weird, Um, 2020 between virus stuff, between war stuff. Like, you can't even go on vacation right now like you want to. Like, my family and I, we went to the lake this weekend, and the big plan was we're going to do all these different things, and some monsoon rolled through, and so we spent a day at the lake in quarantine because you just can't get away from 2020. And we look at 2020 and go, how can this be in God's will? It is. Maybe this is showing us some of the same things that God is proving when he says, I have complete control and will over sin itself. Because when it comes to something like sin and it comes to God's will, think of it this way. God created Satan. He he knew everything that Satan was going to do. He created him to be the chief worshiper. And he knew everything that was going to happen. He knew that Satan would rebel. He knew the way in which Satan would rebel. And in that moment that Satan rebelled, God could have done whatever he wanted. He could have annihilated Satan, like erased him from every existence. And no one would have known. And he could have created an even better thing. Like instead of Satan, we got, you know, Charles. Um, And and, and Charles is now going to be the chief worshiper. But Charles could have done the same thing. And, And God, if he wanted to, could have annihilated all of that and continued to build up and build up and do that. And if that's what he wanted to do, He's God. It's his will. However, he didn't choose to do that. He let Satan rebel, cast him out of heaven, knowing he'd be the the prince of this earth, that he would try and rail against mankind and continue to rail against God. And he let that happen. And in doing so, I think he did that so that he could show Satan and sin, look, you can do everything in your power. Every single thing. And I'll give you all the time you need to do it to prove you're still not me. And so his will over sin, ultimately we know sin will be defeated. And he's giving sin every opportunity to go, no, what about this? Or what if we make him think this? Or what if we get him to do this? And in the end, 
His will will be perfect, and he is going to defeat sin, and it's through Jesus Christ. And so his will is always perfect. And so we pray for that. At the same time, when we pray, your will be done, we don't just pray, ah, if it's your will. We say that a lot of times. But no, when we pray, what he's modeling here is, no, you, you pray for the things that you're praying for. You intentionally convey that message to God. And so if someone is, is sick, if someone is hurting, if someone is lost, you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray. You never stop. Like I said earlier, there are times where on death's doorbed someone goes, I get it. It's not about me. I need Jesus. And so we pray, and we pray, and we pray. And until we get that answer, we pray. When we get that answer, then we're okay with it. That's why in Acts 12, Peter had been imprisoned, and these people were sitting in a household, and they were praying. And they were praying, God, God, just, just let, him, let him be free. But I think they were also saying, if it's your will. Um, because their prayer came true. And they had a hard time understanding it. Like Peter's knocking on the door, hey, I'm free. And there's a person that greets him and goes back, and she tells all, all the believers, hey, Peter's free. Like, your prayers are answered, and they're like, no, there's no way. That's, that's got to be his angel. Like, they were so convinced that he was going to die, they weren't even listening to their own prayers. Like, they weren't believing and trusting in God's will because God's will in that moment was, hey, I need you to pray to me. I need you to convey a message intentionally. God, free Peter, and look, I've done it. But they couldn't even believe it to be true at first. And so when we pray, we pray, yes, God, we, we know that your will is perfect. But man, so-and-so's hurting. And so we're going to pray for them. But when we get the answer, we're going to be okay with what you have said. And so as we pray, we model our prayers on our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be earth, or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we know God's will is being done in heaven. Right now, Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us because that's God's will in heaven. And right now, even if we're in quarantine and it's different, God's will is being carried out on the earth. The gospel is being shared. Darkness is being pushed back. And so we will continue to pray in those things. And we'll continue to pray right now. So, Father, we love you. God, you are holy. God, as we pray, I, I hope that we're reminded that your holiness can't be defeated. Your holiness can't be stopped. Your holiness encourages us. Your holiness gives us enlightenment. Your holiness is good. And so we celebrate that today. And God, as we pray, we, we address that to you. We know that you have so many different names that we can pray in. You are our creator. God, I pray you would remind us of that this week. You're our redeemer. I pray you would remind us of that this week. You're our Lord. I pray you would remind us of that this week. And as we pray, God, I, I pray that we would be okay with your will. God, at no point have you ever lost control. At no point 
in persecution, at no point in a plague, at no point in war, at no point in a pandemic, have you never not been in control. And so I pray that you would comfort us today with that power. You would encourage us with that power. And God, if there's someone that's listening today and they don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with you, I pray that that power would comfort them as well, that they don't have to do it on their own, that they can turn away from that life and follow you, our Lord, our Adonai. God, we ask all of these things in your name. Amen.